Hello, Internet. I'm Finn Ross Russell. And I'm John Lucas. It's Monday, the 9th of May, and welcome to Turin, and welcome to Eurovision Week. Coming up, here's what happened last week, here's what happened over the weekend, and here's what's happening this week. Salutations one and all and welcome to Monday of Eurovision week here in Turin. Uh, we're in the press center, I'm in the press center for the very first time and joining me is a press center veteran who's been through all the wars and experience of press center life both here and at other editions. It's the wonderful John Lucas. Finn, I am so glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, at least, there's, at least there's two of us worrying about getting this podcast up every Yeah, now. I would just like to, on top of the podcast, just formally apologise to all any of our regular listeners for the uh, somewhat spotty audio quality for the first week. I have been running around single-handedly trying to get this recorded. <laughs> get into grips of new equipment that I'm not familiar with in a very loud and echoey press centre. So thank you for sticking with us, but I'm so glad that we now have a professional podcaster with me, Finn Ross Russell. Thank you. My lifesaver. Over to you. Mic drop. Uh, this is a weird thing to say to hear though, because like you're one of my main like podcaster inspirations. So to hear you describe me as a professional podcaster, this must be what it's like when like suddenly a, a big young footballer becomes this amazing superstar, and it's <laughs> All like right, steady on. Finn. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say you were that. Basically, good. basically, I'm great. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Right, there's been a lot that's happened. Indeed. Let's get started. So, the press center's been open since last Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot's happened. Pe listeners, please go back and listen to previous episodes if you'd like to go sort of further into depth of what's gone down. But just to recap for people who are maybe tuning in for the first time today or want a kind of summary as to what the state of play is, what's been happening? Who's stood out for the right or wrong reasons? So, the first week of the press center is always really interesting. It's often very quiet, and it has been this week in terms of the number of people in the room because. Um, it's open for two full weeks, but for the first week, generally, it's fan press, websites like our own, ESC Insight, um, whereas the, the, you know, the international press, they really descend as the live shows come on. So there's kind of a, always a sense of an upward momentum. Like, it's much busier today than it was last Wednesday. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, there's definitely get that feeling of momentum and building kind of popularity as more people show up. Um, in terms of the rehearsals, so obviously the first rehearsals were closed, so we didn't see anything of that at all, just a few brief TikToks here and there. But yes, from Wednesday we started seeing the second set of rehearsals, and that's really when we started to get an idea, an idea of who's working, who isn't. Um, I don't think there's been any disasters this year, and, so, and that's not always the case. Like, you know, I'm not inclined to be mean about people, but you know, there, there have been years, naming no names, when certain performances have just immediately just fallen flat and they've never recovered and it's been it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion that isn't happening this year everybody is bringing strong stage performances strong concepts uh, a lot of ambition obviously there have been challenges uh, everybody knows I'm sure by now there have been some issues with the staging um, the, ori the original concept for the stage show would be that there would be this kind of big LED rainbow shaped screen on one side it would be a light show on the other side there would be an LED screen that people could have their own animations on it has turned out that it is too big and unwieldy. It can't be turned around in the in enough time for each 
it, for each performance because each performer obviously only has a few seconds before the next one comes on. You've got to move that clip in this show. So that means that in, in interest of fairness, they've decided that only the, the light screen will remain. The LED screen is off the cards, which means that if you're one of the several unfortunate artists who was relying on the LED screen for your whole stage concept, you now have a big blank, what we've affectionately termed the black rainbow of death, just plonked in the middle of your stage concept. And it is very distracting, but it has been interesting to see how the artists who've been the most affected by that have changed gears and worked around it on the fly. Some have definitely done that more effectively than others. Um, so that's kind of set the cat among the pigeons a little bit, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's such a shame the whole story with that rainbow thing because it is, it's beautiful. It's a, as a structure, as a thing to look at on a stage, as something to kind of bring to the Eurovision kind of canon and the wonderful wide array of stages that we've had in the past, it really stands out. It's, it's iconic and it's got that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know if it's that sort of 80s feel about it where they had a kind of centerpiece at the back of the stage <laughs> and those tended to be like very gold and very shiny but it, I've always thought that that rainbow has that feel to it kind of updated for the modern times with its movability and the rain the uh, not the rainbow the lights and the LED screen but it's as you say you can plan and plan and plan and have the best intentions in the world but there's nothing stopping you from realizing you've got it all together and put it up oh no this doesn't turn quickly enough and yeah it's very very sad because i think if we'd been able to see it in its full glory it would have really it would have been really special it's the perils of live tv and this does happen it is it does i do feel i do feel for the artists who aren't going to be able to realize the stage concepts that they put months and months of preparation and thought into some of them have been quite outspoken about this, about, about the fact that what they had intended to bring, they're now not going to be able to bring. And, you know, if, if they do well anyway, that's one thing. I, I think any artist who comes and that doesn't qualify, for example, and they, they know that through no fault of their own, they weren't able to deliver the stage show that they'd envisioned, I think that does just make the pill a little bit harder to swallow. So I do have a lot of sympathy for anyone who's kind of having to work with that challenge right now. In terms of winning, the odds have been up and down mm -hmm. um, as the week has gone on, as always tends to be the case with these things. We've now seen the second rehearsal of the winner mm -hmm. because we've now seen all 40 acts yep. do their thing. Who's, who's standing out to you? The UK feel like they're rising in the odds? Um, Italy and Sweden have kind of been up and down a bit. Ukraine have been in a kind of world of their own. Yeah, well, you get yeah. so in terms of the odds, Ukraine have consistently been by a huge margin the, the favourites. That they're practically evens and have been for I think months at this point. And I don't think anything is going to move past the Ukraine between now and Saturday. Maybe like midway through the show, but like because obviously the Ukraine are at the top because there are other world events going on, and there's just no way of knowing how much of a just amount of support. So I don't want to say sympathy vote because that sounds condescending, but a way, there will be a wave of support and sympathy for the Ukraine, understandably so, which may, nobody knows how much of, how much that's going to play into the televote and whether they will win the televote by such a huge margin that it just becomes academic and that it's just a fight for second essentially, or whether that doesn't happen and it is actually more of a level playing field. So Ukraine are by far the favourites and that hasn't changed, but what has changed, what's been really fascinating, as you say, is from two down, from second downwards into the odds, especially in that top five, top seven place. So yeah, the UK since the second rehearsal have leapt up to second place. At the time of recording, they're in second, uh, and they were a fair bit low before. Sam Ryder is 
I have my reservations about the song. I'm not the biggest fan of the song, but I can put that aside and say his voice is spectacular, his performance is spectacular, he is a fabulous representative, his attitude is could not be better. He's not put a foot wrong in this entire process so far. And watching his rehearsal, yes, on, sun, on Saturday, watching his rehearsal on Saturday, I think most people, myself included, just felt that this is definitely a contender. For me, certainly a, a potential jury winner. If the juries look purely at vocal prowess, which they often do, I'm thinking of Dami Im in 2016 for Australia. She won the jury by a huge margin because her vocal was far and away the most technically impressive of the night. Regardless of what you might have thought of the quality of her song, her vocal was out of this world. And that happens quite often. And his vocal is easily in the top five of the best of the year, unquestionably. And I think if, it's, if we don't finish top five, and by way of me in the United Kingdom, in the jury vote, it will be a huge surprise for me and for many people so and that's a very rare thing to say for the UK I mean yeah what, what rabbit hole have we fallen it is, down it's, it's, it, it is it's like a parallel universe I think I've swallowed the red pill yeah I mean we were having a discussion last night about are Manchester or Glasgow going to host it it's yeah. like how have we gotten to the stage where that's a serious conversation this was not a conversation on. when we had Electro Velvet let's just put it that way <laughs> um we're going to be, I'm going to be asking you to kind of predict quite a lot over the course of the week. So I'm not going to push you towards predicting a specific kind of winner or qualifier. By the way, I've never, I'm much more often wrong than I am right. So <laughs> if, you plan, if, you put in a flurry, if you're putting some money on something, please don't go by my recommendations alone because I take no responsibility. What I'm going to ask you though is when you're looking at the week, uh -huh. do you think that we're going, that there are going to be results that surprise you? Always, always, every year that happens. It is never, as much as it might look cut and dried sometimes, it is never cut and dried. There's always something that shocks you. And finally, before we move on to uh, everything that we've been up to over the weekend, I wanted to talk to you about Italy's hosting of this process. Uh -huh. You've now been here, well, you've been here longer than the five days the press center's been open, but you've, you've been in the general Italian area for a bit. How do you think they have stacked up as hosts in comparison to other recent hosts? You know, it's really hard to actually make a direct comparison because the last time I was here, it was pre-COVID. It was literally a different world because I wasn't able to make it to Rotterdam. Obviously, 2020, there was no contest. So the last time I was anywhere in a host country, it was in Tel Aviv, Israel, 2019, and it was just a different kettle of fish entirely. So it has been somewhat chaotic and there have been a lot more hoops to jump through in terms of just moving around and getting things done. And, you know, we, we, are, we have obviously we discussed already, there's been some issues with the stage. Um, so there are, it's not been a smooth ride by any means, but I'm not necessarily inclined to say that that's because the, the Italians are doing a poor job or any of the people working so hard here are doing a bad job or are failing to meet expectations. It's just, it's just a different world that we're living in right now. I, I think everyone's just trying to get used to it and figure it out. They are being very, very cautious COVID-wise, as they should be. We're having to be tested every 72 hours, um, rapid antigen tests before we can enter the press center. Masks up all the time, unless you're live streaming. It'll be the same in the arena. Everyone in the arena will be wearing not just a mask, but an F22, specifically medical mask. So there are a lot of extra things in place, which don't make it any easier, but are you know necessary and to be applauded. Yeah, I think, I think what we've got to remember about that kind of post-COVID thing is that as Europe goes, Italy was hit 
incredibly badly by this pandemic. And I think a lot of what we're seeing now, I mean, it's interesting because in the UK, I mean, I can't remember the last time I was asked by somebody to wear a face mask because in England, the rule's been gone a long, long time. And Scotland, they've been gone long enough that it feels like a long, long time, even if it hasn't necessarily been. And okay, the politics of that come into play definitely. But I think the FFP2 thing, the uh, regular testing thing, I think it all, I think it all comes into play, not as a kind of perfect storm, because that makes it sound like it's a negative thing, but I definitely understand, given what this country went through, why they're being as cautious as they are. And in a way, it makes it even more poignant that we get to celebrate this contest where so many of us are finally back to being person in Italy. But you're right, there's definitely a weird atmosphere around the place. And particularly, I mean, you, you did your podcast with Ben in the Eurovillage, and we were talking last night about the, the one entrance, five exits thing, and the many kind of non-Eurovision-based partners. And I think, I don't know, is there a part of you that kind of says, well, this is kind of a free hit because to a certain extent, the fact that we're here talking in an in-person press center is kind of achievement enough as it is? Yeah, for sure, that's it. And that's, I really don't want to come off as ungrateful to the, the Italians and to the Turin organizers, because as you say, this is a privilege. This is a real privilege to be here. And no, it's not been perfect, but nothing ever is. And yeah, there, and there's a reason behind many of the things that have been a little bit more tricky. In terms of the Euro Village, as you said, and there's a sense maybe that it's not as geared towards the fans, quote unquote, as many years. We have to remember that Italy's relationship with Eurovision is not the same as, say, Sweden's relationship with Eurovision. It's not the same even as Kiev, Ukraine's uh, relationship with Eurovision. They were out of the contest for 14, 15 years, in the, you know, between two, 1997 and 2011. There was a whole generation that has grown up without really any engagement with Eurovision. And they are, it's been a decade, obviously, now, and they have this win, which I'm sure has raised the profile enormously. But this is still a country that has a different relationship with Eurovision, and maybe that is reflected in the fact that there isn't that sense necessarily that the entire city is as a buzz in the sense that maybe Stockholm was or that Lisbon was or Tel Aviv was. Speaking of cities, you went to Milan over the weekend. I did, fashionable, glamorous Milan, yes. What was that like? It was nice, it was a nice city. I think I expected it to be just this like wall-to-wall, like House of Gucci models, supermodels and catwalks, and everyone was gonna be, <laughs> everyone was gonna be dressed like Kate Moss and Amy Campbell. It's not that, obviously, it's a city. It has its nice parts and it's not so nice. La città de cliché. Exactly, yeah, I, I was expecting that. Um, but no, it, it was really good. I got to walk up to the cathedral, the, I think it's the Duomo Cathedral, which is, I believe, the second second largest cathedral in, in all of Italy. Uh, I walked up an ungodly number of stairs to, uh, get, to, the, to get to the top. Uh, it was worth it for the views, but my knees might disagree. Um, no, it's a beautiful city and it's only an hour away from Turin. This is the thing, Turin is quite well located in terms of being in the north of Italy. I'm, I was able to, I've been doing quite a lot of day trips and weekend trips. I also went a little bit further afield, I've talked about this in other podcasts, but I also went to San Marino last weekend, which was a really fascinating experience. You know, Italy's little cousin, the, the, the smaller, one of the smallest microstates in Europe. Um, a really fascinating place that I would really recommend anyone take some time to go to. So yeah, I always like to jump around and see the surrounding area, not just stay in the press centre the whole time. What do you reckon's been the difference between Milan and Turin in terms of how they feel as, as cities to be in? Well, I, I have to be fair, I was only in Milan for a day, so I don't think I could get a full sense of, you know, 
living under the hood there. But I'm not sure. I think it would have been a different vibe for sure. Milan, Milan, see, Milan is bigger and it feels bigger. So it might it wouldn't have had that sense of intimacy. One thing I will say about Turin is it, it's a big city, but there is there is an, an intimate vibe to it that I've really enjoyed. A quiet vibe I've really enjoyed. I feel very safe walking the streets at night. A lot of the streets are very quiet. You don't see a lot of people after a certain hour. Um, so I think Milan would have probably felt a lot busier. Maybe would have felt like Eurovision was getting a little bit lost there. I'm not sure, but um, we'll see. Maybe 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 next year. Who knows? From your experience of having been to as many Eurovisions as you have. Do you tend to find that Eurovision works better in a smaller place where it kind of takes over everything going on? Or do you find having things like a big metro system that means you can get around to a lot of different places makes it easier from an organising perspective? It, de- it really depends. I mean, one thing I've learned is that every single Eurovision has, every single Eurovision has its own unique personality. And it's very much reflected by like, not just the size of the city, but also the, the culture the engagement with the contest. So, you know, Lisbon was very different from Stockholm, was very different from Kiev. They all had their own vibes and Italy just has its own vibe and it's a little bit different, but I'm not, I don't think it's necessarily worse than any other ones. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very different, but at the same time, it clearly has so many different European influences about it. Mm. I've, I've been going around telling people in my kind of first 24 odd hours in Turin that it felt a little bit like a sort of love child between the Baroque architecture of Paris and the surrounded by mountains nature of a Geneva or a Salzburg or one of those many kind of Swiss Austrian Alpine cities. And that, it gives it such an interesting vibe because that's not what you generally expect with Italy. And in a way, what's so nice about coming here for Eurovision is that I don't think I would have come here and seen all the stuff that I got to see around the city, be it not for Eurovision happening here. And in a way, they almost kind of complement each other for exactly the reason we were just talking about. For sure. And that is my favourite thing about being a Eurovision fan, and specifically the fact that I travel every year and cover it, is that it takes me to places that I wouldn't necessarily go. And so, you know, especially with the way the world is right now, the fact that I was able to spend two weeks in Kiev just a few years ago, I feel now so privileged, so profoundly privileged to have been able to spend that time there. And you're right, Turin, because it didn't go to Rome, I would have happily gone to Rome, but I do think Rome being so big would have definitely been lost in Rome. And Turin, you're right, it has more of a central European vibe because it is that further up in the north. It's right next to Switzerland. It's not very far from Austria and Slovenia. It's, it, it does have a different vibe and it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And it, 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 it's, it's something I've never had before, which I'm, I'm appreciating a great deal. You talked about this with Ben on Saturday's pod, but with a little, having had a little bit more time in Turin, do you think, do you think they've embraced Eurovision? Yes, I think that, like I said, it's, it's, diff- it's a different kind of vibe. I don't think everyone in the city right now is necessarily like super aware that Eurovision's happening. I'm sure they're aware, there's lots of posters, I'm sure it's in the back of people's minds. But again, it, it's not like Stockholm or Malmo where everyone, everyone seems to be like on board with it. But I do think they have put on a lot of stuff. There's a lot of, the, the Eurovision Village has a packed schedule for this week. That, and they've really, again, I talked about this with Ben the other day, but they've really mixed it up between catering to the fans and catering just to it's the Italian, the locals, because a lot of the performers at the Euro Village, we have performers from this year's contest, we have some past performers, Senate's going to perform, Simplus from Switzerland are going to perform, but also there's lots of just local Italian musicians performing, so it's this really nice coalition coalition of the two things, the two cultures, which I think is really nice, and there's lots of other stuff being put on as well, uh, for the press, but also for the public, and it is there if you look for it, for sure, but I think it's 
it's not necessarily that the entire city is like suddenly overnight become a massive Eurovision party, but there are, it's there if you look for it, essentially. Yesterday, um, we had a funny situation where Ben had been through that document that he mentions on Saturday's pod and noticed that on the list, it's like, oh, there's a city of Turin press center that's completely separate from the actual Eurovision one. So he turns up to it and there's a sort of uh, snack wine thing that he goes to and all the staff there basically tell him like get people in like please tell people to to come to this because they've set this up the city of Turin but clearly that conversation with the main Eurovision organizers hasn't gone on because there haven't been as many Eurovision peeps turning up to it now to a certain extent that's also because there's enough in the Eurovision bubble to almost kind of not ignore but kind of not notice a lot of the stuff that's going on on the outside but Ben told us, me and many of the Insight Friends of the Parish went and had a vermouth tasting, vermouth being a sort of local Turin-made alcoholic spirit of some form that they mixed with a lot of honey and herbs so that it didn't just taste really boozy. Tell um, you're not a drinker. <laughs> I'm not a drinker. I, I really am not a drinker. And it, to be fair, it's not, it's not just alcohol, it's also coffee. Oh, like sure, black yeah. coffee, it's just so bitter. I mean, obviously not all alcohol is bitter, but yeah, it's, I get that same kind of, oh, how does anyone drink this vibe? But yeah, I enjoyed the vermouth because <laughs> it, like it. it was just mixed in with lots of herbs and honey. Similarly, when we were walking yesterday, there were those people on the street that were giving out cans of martini bits and pieces and we neck we necked them while walking down the street and that was quite nice because again it was just mixed in with loads of sugar no but i think you're right to go back to your point about things happening that we don't <laughs> necessarily know about i in my day job i work for a large corporation and i'm very aware of this this happens a lot in big organizations is that you'll have a lot of different teams that all we will all be working on really cool stuff but sometimes the lines of communication will get crossed and not every team will know what the other team is doing and I think that might be somewhat happening here. And I do feel a lot for the people who are putting a lot of work into things that maybe we would love to do and love to promote, you know, to help promote the city. But we just aren't aware that it's available and maybe we're not finding out in the right in time to actually fully engage with them. We'll just have to see if uh, over the next week and as we get closer to that grand final day and the sort of stuff that people know becomes closer and closer into view if maybe that party does kind of slowly, slowly begin. Sure, because that, that might sound to, to listeners a little bit like, like we're complaining about the fact that we're not getting enough freebies. It's not about that. I mean, <laughs> it's not not about that. But, but in, a, in a more holistic sense, like one of the key benefits of actually hosting Eurovision for any city is that you get to promote yourself on the world stage and that you get an influx of tourists that can you know support local businesses and give a little spike to local businesses and you also can generally more in a broader sense you can promote your city and that's what we do here we don't just we don't just talk about the rehearsals we are writing about our experiences and we're sharing them and we're shining a light on Turin which as you said is not a city that is like necessarily up there with Rome and Paris and Stockholm where people already kind of know what it is so I do feel for them a little bit if they're not if they're missing a few opportunities there to really get that press and get that PR to the level that they could be. It's a big part of this. Grand final days in five days. What's going to happen in the build-up to then? Well, there's going to be two semi-finals, and from each of those, ten songs will qualify, and then there'll be the big five and the little perform. <laughs> Just in case you've never been to this party before. Yeah? <laughs> okay, let's go a level deeper than okay, that. Okay, fine, fine, fine. What's, what's going to happen that people should be looking out for, that people should be paying attention to? Okay, well, 
I have been mulling over starting a sweepstake with the, the people in the press centre, my fellow journos, on exactly what time that grand final is going to finish. <laughs> because I suspect it won't be at the time scheduled. <laughs> maybe it will be, maybe it will be, but um, one thing I've learned is, while being here is that Italy definitely runs on its own unique schedule. So that I'm interested to see whether they can actually pull together the, it's the very strict timings that Eurovision kind of requires. Um, I'm going to throw in something that, you know, I enjoy perhaps a bit more than other people. I really like a good postcard and you know what? Last year, they were trialling out the kind of remotely filmed postcard concept while showing off a nice bit of your local area. From what we've seen over the rehearsals, because obviously with the second rehearsal we get the postcard shown before it, I've really enjoyed them. I think they've shown some really beautiful parts of Italy that I wouldn't have known about. And I know that's kind of what postcards are doing, but I do. I think the postcard is a very underrated aspect of the Eurovision experience that people should be looking out for. No, I agree. I think they have done a really good job. And as you say, each one shows a different view, vista of the, of the country. They've got a, like a drone flight over, so you get lots of overhead shots. I mean, when you think back to the old days with the postcards, the bad old days, I think it was Greece in 2006 when it was just the same shot of like a, a pretty Greek lady just opening her arms and embracing the camera. But it was the exact same shot like 26 times in a row and it was so funny. Like, we've come a long way since then, for sure. The other thing I think I want to throw in there, which again I think is quite an underrated aspect of the Eurovision experience, but that stage, I mean, I know we've talked about the Black Rainbow of Death. And okay, it's a bit annoying that that massive LED screen on the back is being kind of blocked by said centerpiece. But I really like that water feature. Oh, the water feature is amazing, and I've not seen anything quite like that before, as far as I remember. Copenhagen. Did they? Was, well, it was close because that was more of a moat, though. Like okay. this is more of like an actual waterfall, whereas that was more of a. I was going to say it's a pond, but it feels weird to say there was a pond. There's a pond in the middle of the Copenhagen stage. I don't remember. I mean, I might be wrong. It's been a while since I've rewatched 2014, but I don't remember the water being like a feature of many of the performances in the way that this year it feels like it really. Because you've got the stage, and you've got literally the water is pouring out of the side of the stage throughout the whole competition, mm. and you've got people, certain artists, interacting with the water, jumping across it. Um, yeah, it feels so much more like it's a feature and it feels so unique. That is something I'm really, really excited about, actually. Mm. Especially as things are still coming together and we haven't seen how every artist is going to fully take advantage of that. And ditto the green room. I mean, again, I, I won't go into too much detail on uh, on the first rehearsal because we'll talk about it a bit more on our on our pod tomorrow. But when I came in and I saw the the real garden nature of that green room, how it's a literal green it's green, green, it's green room. Yeah. <laughs> and like with actual plants and everything, it did. It made me step back and go, wow. Like, we don't know what's gonna happen over the next few days. There will definitely be some very chaotic elements to it, but I just get this feeling that it's just gonna be a beautiful experience. I just hope we're sprayed for bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine like a swarm, you know, like a latent swarm of hornets or something attacks one of the The other. wolves look behind them to find a bee's nest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. See, plenty of stuff to look out for. Absolutely. Beyond the usual stuff you would expect. Oh, the drinking games, if you're watching at home this year, the drinking games will be fruitful. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Beyond the box set for more drinking games Indeed, by John yeah. Lucas. <laughs> right, um, that's it for today's podcast. Um, John, you wrote a piece about San Marino and your experiences there. I did. You can see that on the site. It went live this morning. It is my little travel guide for San Marino, um, including where I stayed, what I saw, how I got there, which is very important. Seriously, if you are in Italy now and you're staying a few extra days after the contest, or if you're planning to come to Italy in the near future, Really, especially if you're in kind of central Italy, if you're in the area, don't pass up the chance to see San Marino. It is gorgeous. You could do it in a day. I stayed the whole weekend and I could have stayed longer. Big up to San Marino, and I'm not being paid to say that. I'm not like Lissassia <laughs> talking randomly about Cyprus in 2003. I was going to say, John, you've never mentioned San Marino much to me before, and now all of a sudden you've gone, and yeah. all of a sudden you seem to be championing their. Uh, Valentina's their money cause. talks. That's what, what can I say? <laughs> um. As previously mentioned on other of our daily podcasts, we're on the ground every day. If you, the listeners at home, have any questions you'd like us to answer about stuff that happens in the show or stuff to look forward to, send your questions to admin at escinsight.com and we will make sure to... Uh, well, we'll do our best to answer them on the podcast. If they're ridiculously complicated or if they're just downright silly, we may not be able to answer them, but, you know, we'll do our best. Uh, now, we always close with some sort of instrument. Oh, Oh, John, what is it? I can't... Uh. Bring on the vibraphones. You've been listening to the ESC Insight Daily News Podcast, hosted by Finn Ross Russell and John Lucas. Find out more by heading to escinsight.com and support the work we do at patreon.com slash escinsight.